Today is also uh, our great privilege to kick off a new preaching series. Over the last two weeks, we've been looking at, we need to talk about race, some very important things we uh, talked about and some interviews just to hear from uh, uh, different minority groups uh, in our church to hear what it's like and what we can do. And uh, I would really encourage you, if you missed those, just catch up online. You can find all our services that we've done recorded and uh, put on YouTube. So just find Life Church Peterborough on YouTube and you can catch up on those. And uh, today we've got the privilege of uh, having Dan Hayter kicking off a new series around Proverbs. Proverbs is all about living wisely and letting the word of God shape the way that we walk. So we're so privileged to have Dan with us. He's such a gifted teacher and uh, a great friend. So it's my privilege to introduce him as he's going to open up God's word to us. And uh, we open our hearts to say uh, to him um, to receive all that he has to say. So over to you, Dan. Well, hello, Life Church. It's great to be able to speak to you from the Word of God this morning. And today we're starting a new preaching series on the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be looking at the idea of living life wisely, of living life in a way where we do life well, where we honour God with the way that we live in all of the practical details of life. And uh, Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament, which is full of wise wisdom of good practical advice for how to live life well. And so we're going to look at a lot of different topics like temptation or money or how we make plans and decisions or work and laziness. How do we honour God and how do we live life wisely in all of these practical areas of life? And one of the things that we're going to be doing and that we'd invite you to join with us is to be working our way through uh, some of the devotions in this particular book, which is a book by Tim Keller called The Way of Wisdom. And uh, it's a, a year's worth of devotions on the book of Proverbs. And we're suggesting that from tomorrow we can jump in to uh, the page, which is July the 27th, and we're going to work our way daily through these devotions up until September the 13th. So if you want to join us with that, and I'd encourage you to, you can buy the book on Amazon or on in paperback or on Kindle. And so we'd really encourage you to join with us on that. You can find more information about that on an email that I sent around earlier in the week. But this week we're starting the series and we're asking ourselves the question, where do we find wisdom? Where do we find wisdom? Okay, so when we're talking about wisdom, we need to make sure that we're clear that wisdom and knowledge are not necessarily the same thing. Okay, so knowledge can just be about knowing loads of facts. So I might know that one plus one equals two. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to live wisely. Now, in order to live wisely, we do need to know some stuff. But wisdom is more than just knowing stuff. It's about knowing how to make good decisions in life, how to put the knowledge that we have into practice so to speak. And so it involves knowledge. It's not that it doesn't involve it. If you don't have any knowledge, you're not going to be able to live wisely, but it's more than that. But we're asking the question today, where can we find true wisdom? You see, everyone wants to live wisely. I don't think you'd find anyone in our society who would say, you know what? I just really fancy living a really stupid, foolish life. I want to be an idiot. That's what I've always wanted to be. No one wants to be foolish. Everyone wants to live wisely. But the problem is, Everyone disagrees on what counts as living wisely. And actually, if you look at lots of different parts of the world, we will have completely different opinions on the way that we should conduct family life or the way that we should conduct society or the way that we should go about work. And so we need to ask the question, where can we find true wisdom? And what we're going to do is we're going to look to the word of God to teach us in this. And we're going to open today in Proverbs 9. We're going to read the whole chapter. That's verses 1 to 18. And in this passage, there's a picture of two women. 
And these two women are throwing a meal, they're throwing a banquet, and they're inviting people to join them. And it's a picture of two different ways of life, and we're going to look at that in a minute. And so my question to you is, as we read this, and Bex is going to read this passage out for us in a minute, as we read this passage, which invitation are you going to accept? So let's hear the word of God as Bex reads it to us. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman, folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So what we've got in this passage is a picture, an image. And sometimes images or stories communicate truth much more powerfully than just saying this is right, this is wrong. I mean, take, for example, the story of the hare and the tortoise, which I'm sure many of you will know. We're not meant to literally believe that there was a hare and a tortoise one day who had a race together. The point is, the story is trying to teach us something. And that's what's going on here. This is not literally two women who are throwing a feast and inviting people to join them. That's not literally what's going on here. What this is doing is it's a picture and it represents something and it's trying to teach us something. And so the two women represent two different extremes. One of them, the first one represents wisdom. And the second woman at the end of the passage represents folly. So they embody two different ways of living. And the meals that they're throwing represent what they end up teaching. One of them is teaching wisdom. One of them is teaching folly. And they're both inviting us. And the question is, who are we gonna, whose invitation are we going to accept? And did you notice that they're calling out, both of them, to people who are simple? In other words, people who don't know much. And to varying degrees, all of us will fall in that category. None of us is ultimately wise. However long you've been alive or however long even you've been a Christian, none of us is ultimately wise. So to a certain extent, that invitation goes to all of us. We are all simple. We're all in need of wisdom. And so the question is, which invitation are we going to accept? Are we going to accept the invitation of the woman wisdom or are we going to accept the invitation of the woman folly? And this chapter tells us something really, really important when it comes to finding wisdom, when it comes to accepting whichever invitation it is that we go for. And the thing that it teaches us is that wisdom is not first and foremost about seeking wisdom in itself. It's not first and foremost about finding good advice. Wisdom, first and foremost, is about worship. Wisdom 
is about who you worship. And the reason that I know that is because there's a couple of things that go on in this passage that tell me that what it's communicating is not just you need to try and find some wise advice rather than foolish advice, but you need to worship the right God in order to be wise. The reason I know that is a couple of reasons. Firstly, look at where the houses that these two women have built are. So Women Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. This is in verse one. She has slaughtered her beasts, etc., etc. She calls from the highest places in the town. Okay, so the Woman Wisdom has built her house in the highest places of the town. If we go on to verse 14, when we're looking at the Woman Folly, she sits at the door of her house. She has taken a seat on the highest places of the town. Both of them are in the highest place of the town. And in the ancient world, that was where you would build a temple to the God that you worshiped in that city. In other words, both of these women are saying, I'm inviting you to worship either the true God, in the case of women wisdom, or a false God, in the case of the women folly. But another thing that tells me that this is not primarily about trying to seek wise advice, but primarily about who we worship and that leading to wisdom is verse 10. Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, what this is telling us is that you cannot ultimately pursue wisdom and be wise if you don't have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, wisdom is a little bit like fruit. Take this apple, for example. I could have a lovely patch of earth in my garden. I could put lots of manure on it. I could water it and so on. You could compare that to seeking wise advice. But if I don't have an apple seed planted in the ground, I can put all of the manure, all of the water that I want on it. It's not going to lead to fruit. There needs to be that apple seed that means it's going to lead to the fruit of wisdom. And in the same way, if we don't have the apple seed of the fear of the Lord, which is another way of talking about worshipping the true God, we're never going to get the fruit, which is living wisely. But we need to ask the question, what does it mean to fear God? Because some of us may, have, may be thinking, oh my goodness, what, what does that mean to actually fear him? Well, to fear God means that what he thinks and what he says is so much more important to you than anything else. In other words, his opinions, his views are so much more important than anyone else that you would be terrified of running away from him. That's what the fear of the Lord involves. It says, I, he is so powerful, so mighty, so strong, so wise, his views matter more to me than anything else. I would never dare to run away from him. That's what it means to fear God. It, it is a fear. It truly is a fear. Okay? It's not just a, a kind of, oh yes, I fear him in a religious way. There is a fear to it. There's a fearfulness to who God is, but it's a fear that drives us to him and drives us to say he matters more than anything else that I could possibly imagine. His opinion, and that's true in my life, or at least it, I, I want it to be true, is that his opinion matters more to me than anything else. So I'm never, I don't want to run away from him. I would be terrified of running away from this mighty, powerful God. Jesus feared God. In fact, in Isaiah 11, it tells us that Jesus delighted in the fear of God. So fearing God and delighting in God actually aren't contradictory things. The more we fear God, the more his opinion matters, the more he is first in our life, 
the more we're going to delight in him, actually. And so my question to us as we start is, is God at the centre of your life? Whose opinion matters the most? Whose opinion matters the most in your life? Maybe you're here today and you're not, not yet a follower of Jesus. You've not made that decision to follow him. Can I tell you that as we look at wise advice for life, as you might be joining us over the next few weeks, I'm sure there'll be some practical tips that you'll find really helpful. But can I encourage you, you won't actually learn to live a truly wise life until you put God right at the centre, until you put Jesus right at the centre. So can I encourage you, if that's you, and you would love to find out more about following Jesus, why don't you send an email to hello at wearelifechurch.uk and say, look, I'm new, I'd love to find out more about following Jesus, and we'll get in touch with you, we'd love to talk to you about that. Because ultimately you make decisions based on who you worship. Okay, so if you think that pleasure is the most important thing in life, in other words, if you worship pleasure, then you are gonna do everything that you can to get as much pleasure as you possibly can. If you think that family is the most important thing in life, you're gonna do everything you possibly can to please your family. If you think that money is the most important thing in life, in other words, if you worship money, you're gonna do everything you can to amass as much money as you possibly can. And so who we worship makes a difference to the way that we live and it makes a difference to the decisions we make, which is why we're not going to live a truly wise life unless God is right at the centre. And so that's the first thing we need to realise. We need to make sure that God is at the centre. Otherwise, our life will ultimately be foolish. However much wise advice we can amass and put into practice. But let's have a quick think about what do these two options look like? Okay, so either embracing woman wisdom, which is another way of talking about worshipping God and having him at the centre, or embracing woman folly, which is another way of talking about worshipping something else than God, putting something else than Jesus right at the centre of your life. And in a sense, when we compare the two, one thing that we realise is that the way of wisdom, worshipping God and living wisely, is actually much more difficult. Did you notice how much effort wisdom is putting into preparing a meal? She's slaughtering beasts, she's mixing wine, she's setting her table, she's sending out people to call for effort to invite people, she's built seven pillars in her house. It's a lot of effort. Whereas you look at women folly, there's not much preparation going on in verses 13, 13 onwards. And her food doesn't even belong to her anyway. She's saying, stolen water is sweet in verse 17. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, she's not even gone through the effort of cooking. She's got stolen water and a morsel of bread. It doesn't take as much preparation. And, and actually, it's worth being aware that putting God first, in one sense, is actually a much more difficult thing to do. Because what you're saying is, I am going to choose to not do the thing that I naturally want to do, which is to put myself at the centre of the universe. Instead, I'm going to put God at the centre of the universe. It goes against what we naturally want. But, and here's the very important thing, the way of wisdom is infinitely better, infinitely better. I mean, if you had a, a choice between a feast with wine and meat, and if you're a vegetarian, just replace that with the nicest vegetarian dish you could imagine, would you prefer that or a bit of stolen water and a bit of presumably stolen bread that you have to eat in secret, otherwise someone's gonna find out you've stolen it? You'd go for the feast, wouldn't you? And in a sense, that's the, that's the message of Proverbs. The message of Proverbs is wisdom is difficult. Living a wise life and putting God at the centre can be difficult, but it's better than the alternative. It leads to a better life. Have a look at verse 10. 
By me, that's wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Now, this isn't a guarantee that Christians live for longer. That's not the way that we should apply it. It's not a guarantee that we're going to have an easier life. In fact, as you read Jesus's teaching, you realise that very often Christians will have far more difficult lives because of following Jesus. But we do know that God's wisdom following Jesus leads to eternal life. Not necessarily in that we won't we won't necessarily live for longer in this life, but we will live for the whole of eternity in his presence. However, Folly or idolatry ends up being far less good than the the, the life of wisdom of following God. In fact, idolatry or following another God lies to us. Did you notice this in verses 17 to 18? Women folly is saying stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. In other words, she's inviting this young, simple man who doesn't know much and is saying, hey, drinking something that's stolen is really nice. Eating bread that's stolen is really nice. And he's kind of lured in to this house. And imagine you're walking into the house of Lady Folly thinking, I'm believing these lies. Yes, oh, this water that she's serving me looks great. This bread that's stolen and this water that's stolen, they look lovely. And you walk into the house And as you sit down at the table, you turn around and you notice that all of the guests are skeletons. All of them are dead. And this is the lie that worshipping false gods gives to us. They promise so much. Money promises so much. Fame promises so much. Idolatry promises so much, but it delivers death. And it's so important that we recognise that, that other gods will give us lies. And my question to us and to you is what lies have you been listening to? Have you been listening to the lie that pornography will satisfy you? It might provide a quick fix, but it will ultimately lead to despair and guilt and death. Have you been listening to the lie that comfort and safety are to be prized above all things? That's what comfort and safety say. They say, follow comfort, follow safety will make your life better. But if comfort and safety are, are our primary God, then we're not following the way of God and therefore eternal life isn't, isn't something that's then available to us if we're not putting Jesus right at the center. It's a lie. It will not deliver. For some of us, it might be the lie that our family and our children need to be the first priority in our life. And I know that this is perhaps going to be something that sounds quite controversial. But I don't want my children growing up, I don't want Aura and Zoe growing up thinking that they are my first priority. I want them growing up thinking that God is my first priority. I'm so glad that my parents decided very early on in their walk with God that we were not going to be their priority, that God was going to be the first thing in their life. Because when they felt God tell them, I want you to move to France with your young family of four kids who are all children quite young. I want you to move to France to help with the church out there. The wisdom of the world would have said, hey, 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 children come first. Seriously, you're taking your children to a country where they don't know the language, they don't know anyone. And the only person in the family that knows how to speak French is your dad. What are you doing? That's foolish. That's what the world would say. But the wisdom of God says, no, no, no. Putting me first is wisdom. And I'm so grateful they did that because what they modeled something of what it means to live wisely to put God first. 
And maybe for some of us here, that's the, temp- that's the, the lie we're tempted to swallow, that our children are the most important thing in our lives. And can I encourage you that you will love your children far more effectively if they realize that there is something in your life that is more important than them and that that is God. And that affects the way we live. That affects the way we make decisions. It may even affect the way we make decisions about Sundays, about do we go to church or do we go to this thing that my child wants to do? It will affect things like that. It will affect big decisions such as do we move abroad to church plant when we feel God's telling us to, even though it's going to be costly to us as a family? And the answer is it's always better to go for the way of God. It leads to ultimate joy. When I don't put God first in my life, my joy gets sapped away like anything. So the way of wisdom is more difficult. Putting God at the centre, putting Jesus at the centre, but it is far better. And we see this most powerfully and ultimately embodied in Jesus. Jesus was made the wisdom of God. So when we think what is true wisdom, we are not ultimately talking about a piece of advice. We are talking about a person. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That which looked foolish to the world, Jesus dying on a cross, in fact, was the wisdom of God. And that's the way that God is saving humanity through something that looks stupid to the world. God demonstrates his wisdom. And Jesus perfectly embodies wisdom. He, he, put, Jesus, he put God right at the centre. He worshipped God alone. He worshipped his father alone. And he went through the most difficult decision ever to, be, to make. Am I going to allow myself to be punished by the wrath of God for the sake of other people. And he put God first in that moment. And he's made a way for us to know God. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you can come to know God and you can put him right at the center of your life because Jesus has made a way to do that. And there may be some of us here today who are thinking, I've just become aware that I've made some big mistakes, big foolish mistakes in my life. The good news for you, is that Jesus has wiped away, if you put your trust in him, Jesus has wiped away your mistakes. You get a fresh start and you can put Jesus right at the center of your life. And if that's you today, I'd love to pray for you in a minute, both for those of you who've never put Jesus first in your life and for those of you who have, but feel like you've made catastrophic mistakes, that you would know the forgiveness of Jesus, who is the ultimate wisdom of God. So wisdom is harder but wisdom is better. Putting God first in many senses is harder. It leads to, in a sense, a more difficult life, but it's better. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you that your wisdom is best, that putting you first is best. And Father, I pray you would help us to do that. Help us to make decisions that come out of putting you right at the center. And Father, I pray for these dear brothers and sisters. I pray for those who don't know you. I pray that you would stir them by your Holy Spirit to come to know you. I pray, Father, for those who do know you, for those who do follow Jesus, but who are just aware of mistakes that have been made and are living under the guilt and shame of it. I pray you would help them to know that that guilt is lifted, they're forgiven, and there's a second chance with you. There's a fresh chance to put you right at the center. And I pray we would make that decision today, all of us, to recommit our lives to you and to live lives that are in the fear of God, 
that value Jesus and his views and his opinions above everything else, that we would be terrified of running away from you, but delighted to run towards you. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dan, for leading us through the first instalment of Proverbs. Uh, We're going to continue to do this over the summer. So as Dan was saying, we've uh, recommended a daily devotion from Tim Keller to go with that if you want to use that on a daily basis. Thank you, Father, that you are the heart of all wisdom. Thank you that you are the heart of all love. Thank you that when we draw close to you, we receive your love, we receive your wisdom in our lives. And thank you that uh, even the foolish step of laying down our lives, Lord, is true wisdom. Thank you that you have gone before us, Jesus, and that you touch us. And we pray for much wisdom, Lord, over this summer, over this season, that you help us to draw close to you, to make wise choices, uh, but ultimately to draw close to the Father himself, who's the source of all wisdom. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of our time together. It's been so great to spend time with you. Let me just do a little update for you around this season as we end. So obviously we are continuing our Zoom services online. There's all sorts of news floating about what is and what is not possible uh, over this season with COVID and church. Um, As for now, because we are quite a fairly large church and uh, the TDA has still got their doors shut Uh, over the summer. Uh, We continue to meet online via Zoom. Uh, Probably at the start of the autumn, we will continue our Zoom services as well until some clear guidelines arise in which we are able to make some steps forwards. We are in continuous conversation with the TDA to see what is possible, what isn't possible, which will resume in September. So we will keep you posted. Uh, In the meantime, you can continue to uh, uh, plug in with the daily devotions that Dan's recommended, our Zoom services on Sunday. We also have a prayer meeting every Sunday evening, Twilight Prayer is 7.30 uh, at Zoom as well. Uh, Tonight will be the last one uh, over uh, this summer. We're going to take a little bit of a break to be able to get back at the first week of September again. So you'll get some information about that nearer the time where we're going to start off the new season with a prayer and a worship evening together. So uh, we want to encourage you to join in with that. Uh, in the meantime, I want to encourage you also make the most of this season to be able to invite people into your house again. We've had some visitors over the last few weeks. It's all a bit strange. We've all forgotten a bit how to entertain and we've uh, went to some people's houses and to go and meet with people. And it's all a little bit strange, perhaps a little bit intense and tiring to start off with, not quite used to doing that. But I want to encourage you to make the most of starting to build relationships, uh, again, that are not just on the screen to make uh, the most of it. So bless you all. And so I look forward to see you tonight at the prayer meeting at 7.30, if not uh, next week at Sunday on our next Zoom service. See you then.